Welcome to Star Wars Action News, your source for Star Wars collecting news, reviews, and convention coverage, hosted by Marjorie and Arnie. Helping Star Wars collectors collect better. Covering the whole galaxy of Star Wars toys. Hello and welcome to Star Wars Action News. We're back! This is Marjorie. This is Ghost of Podcast Past, Arnie. And we're not solo tonight, Marjorie. We have a lot of people joining us. Yes, we do. Joining us tonight is now playing podcast co-host and Marvelicious Toys co-host. It's coming back to Justin. Hey, everybody. How you doing? Good to be here. Video editor, Andrew. Hey, everybody. I'm really looking forward to sitting down with y'all and talking about Falfa, an American graffiti story. (laughs) (laughs) That's an obscure reference. Wow. (laughs) At first, I thought you said alfalfa, and I was like, did he kill buckwheat? And then joining us, I don't know what your title is anymore, Jerry, because you haven't done a segment in a long time. Just friend of the show, Jerry. Well, for what show would I be doing this segment for? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, you know, actually, I was—I mean, I think I was just on Now Playing for a couple, uh, like, six weeks ago for Pacific Rim, so that's as good as any. But, uh, but hey, uh, great to be here. Can't wait to talk about this movie. It's good chat with you guys. And friend of the show, Chris. Hey everybody, it's Chris, Jedi Yoda 7, and you might want to buckle up, baby. Yes, Solo came out, so we could not let it go by without commemorating it with a review roundtable. Let's go around just high-level first thoughts. If you have, it's a game of Sabacc, you're opening Gambit on Solo. In reverse order, Chris. Uh, high-level first pass, it was enjoyable, but predictable. It didn't do anything... Uh, that was wasn't expected, so it was it was good. It wasn't great. Um, I think on a high level, I would say that Ron Howard took what probably would have been a turd of a film and made something good of it. So Ron Howard is a reverse digestive system. Got it, Jerry. I initially was not excited at all about seeing this movie and admittedly the the trailers that they start showing oh golly when we see the first one like the the super bowl or the day after super bowl or whatever i started thinking you know this this might actually be pretty good and i was really excited about seeing the movie in theaters because it was just it was fun to take the day off memorial day weekend you know i took friday off like i usually do for a star wars or avengers movie went and saw it and i gotta tell you i really enjoyed it i thought it was Really good. Didn't have any moments of watching the movie where I was really aggravated about what was on the screen. Yeah, it's predictable. I mean, it was a story about, about Han Solo. So you, you know that going into it. There's there's nuances that they can change details on. They can throw you a curveball here and there. And I think we got some that I'll talk about. But overall, I really enjoyed it. Good movie. And you weren't going to go, right? I believe that when we did our roundtable for The Last Jedi, you were saying that was your last movie. Well, no, I mean, admittedly, I think I was saying that uh, a a little just to be a little sarcastic and funny. I mean, the reality is just getting a rare opportunity to go out and see a movie for fun. I mean, I I don't see too many movies anymore in in theaters because they – 
the the movie going experience is a little annoying with just the way people behave. But yeah, you know, uh, the Avengers experience was good. I was happy to get out and see something. And, and I'm not going to not see a Star Wars movie. I mean, even if you hear me joke that, hey, I'm skipping episode nine because I didn't really like Je- Last Jedi. No, for me, that that just means I'm probably only going to see it once or twice and not four times. I was taking you at your word. All right, Andrew. And and like Jerry, I was pretty cool on Solo leading up to it. Um, it was one of those films where, you know, I, I just didn't really care to see the origin to Han Solo. I felt like we already had that with A New Hope, that that was really the origin of his, his character, um, that we knew everything we needed to know about him going into it. That said, the it was the uh, last trailer that they released where I was like, yeah, it feels like it's got a pretty cool vibe. I was seeing some really good chemistry between Han and Chewie. And uh, at the end of the day, when I went and saw it, um, I was actually pleasantly surprised with how much fun I had at it. There was lots of really good humor, lots of little inside jokes uh, for those of us who are uh, deep into the EU. And uh, yeah, at the uh, end of the movie, I just had a a giant grin on my face. So yeah, I I really enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would. Justin, you know, I same boat as most everybody else so far as, you know, when they announced Solo, a Star Wars story, I was just like, Ah, uh, okay, whatever. I mean, maybe maybe let's break out of the mold a little bit. But the, the closer we got to it, I started getting a little more hyped. And I got to say, I think the best part of this is getting Star Wars where it belongs back at the beginning of summer. There's something about late spring, early summer, and a new Star Wars movie coming back. It takes me back to the early days of being excited for Jedi coming out in a few months. But, you know... It's fine that they keep pushing these in winter, I guess, but I would like to see us get back into beginning of summer, let late May be Star Wars release time, because it just seems that's where it should live. But as far as the movie goes, hey, you know, I didn't have much expectations going into it. I, you know, I wasn't one of these people who was like, oh, this kid doesn't look anything like Solo, and I don't think he sounds like him. I pretty quickly forgot all that. Like, I wasn't sitting here the whole time wondering, why is this guy acting like Harrison Ford? So for the most part, I enjoyed it. It was fun. I think it answered some questions that people may have had. I think it posed some questions that I didn't have before, but now I feel like are unanswered. So we can get into all that a little bit later. You said this is where Star Wars should live. Judging by the box office, this is actually where Star Wars came to die. I think that it did much better in winter. Yeah, I mean, maybe competition. I mean, a little bit of uh, tentpole, big film fatigue. I mean, it's hot on the heels of... Avengers and then Deadpool and then Solo. It's just week after week after week. It's they're asking people to hit the theaters again and again and again. But but the fact that it was actually May twenty fifth didn't go unnoticed. I mean that's like the Star Wars day for real, right? Yeah yeah. Forget this May the fourth stuff. Marjorie, what about you? Well, I thought it was a fine summer action movie. I'm still on the fence on how much. It fit into the Star Wars universe if it was needed in the Star Wars universe. I don't think I ever really cared about Han's backstory, I guess. I was perfectly satisfied knowing what we know about him and okay that we didn't see him in the prequels or anything like that. I I thought it was fine. I I don't think that Woody Harrelson did his best, to be honest, because he's actually a really great actor. But for some reason in this, he just seemed to be phoning it in. And you can definitely tell. I noticed where... They had to work with what they got, and then Ron Howard took over. It seems that 
He made things a little bit more smooth and action-y and kind of fun. But it was a fine summer movie. I don't know that it was my favorite movie of any Star Wars movie. I think I still am an original trilogy girl, but I, I think it was pretty decent and it was up there with the sequels. Well, Harrison Ford's shoes are big ones to fill. And opening this up to the floor, do you think Alden Ehrenreich did a good job? Okay, I'm going to jump in on this one. I'll just start because I'll I'll be the brave one. If he was trying to emulate Harrison Ford, no, he did not do a good job. Now, did he make it his own? Yes, he did. I, I do feel that his acting was forced at times. Maybe he'll get better, but I just watched A New Hope, and Mark Hamill wasn't the best actor in A New Hope either. I don't know if he became Oscar-worthy still to this day, but he's young, and he's got some growing to do. I don't know if they'll make a sequel to this one. I don't know if that was ever in the works or if it's a one-off. But if he was emulating Harrison Ford, not fantastic. I think there were sequels in the works. I don't think there are any more. But wait a second. I want to point out something. It's not like it had a bad box office. It's not like it had, you know, Ishtar bad. It costs $250 million to make, $150 million to market. They get approximately 60% of the global box office, and it's going to peter out at $400 million. They're not in the place where Star Wars is used to being. It will still make money by the time you take in the ancillaries, the video sales, the soundtracks, the toys, but Star Wars is not used to having the movies be the loss leader, is what I read in Variety. That budget also includes huge reshoots. And so they also have to be looking at what is that going to actually be the budget for the next solo film? Will the next solo film cost them less and make the same amount of money? So I don't know if you can really go against, you know, compare the the box office income to the budget in this case because of the extenuating circumstances. All right, let's just compare it to the other Star Wars box office, though. I mean, we've had Star Wars films come out and come close to a billion dollars domestic, and this one, it opened, it didn't make a hundred million the first weekend unless you decide to give it the mulligan of Memorial Day. I mean, I'm not saying that the box office is an indicator of quality. I want this to come out right now. I'm not saying it's a bad movie because it did poorly at the box office, but Disney execs have come out and said they are examining what happened and how this will affect the movies going forward. So when I bring it up, I merely bring it up because when we discuss where the future for Alden Ehrenreich and such might be, I think that... What might have been a plan once upon a time is probably changing. Well, and I think one of the findings of that autopsy performed by Disney is going to be a little bit of fatigue. I mean, I know I was just talking about how awesome it was to have Star Wars back at the beginning of summer, but it's only been six months since the Star Wars movie. And that that's never happened before. And I doubt it's ever going to happen again unless Disney just goes crazy and starts throwing three Star Wars movies at us every year. But there's got to be a little bit for that. I don't know how much the general public was even aware of a new Star Wars movie or if this was something different from the one that just came out around Christmas. They're going to need to figure out the Marvel formula because Black Panther in February, Avengers in May, or I guess late April they change it to, and Black Panther domestically is $60 million ahead of uh, Avengers, so... Granted, Avengers is like the big saga film, right? And Black Panther was the an Avengers story type thing. And of course, Black Panther's a new character that's fertile ground. There's a lot, and came out in February with, I mean, golly, that thing was number one for like 
five weeks, right? So there, there's something to be learned, I think, Justin, to your point. I'm guessing that's one of the reasons why they pulled Avengers up a week to give it a little bit more breathing room between that Deadpool and then that and Star Wars. Disney's going against Disney here. Now, Solo won the weekend, of course, as you guys said, but Deadpool and Avengers still had some some uh, good uh, good crowds this weekend as well. I'd like to point out that the marketing for this one was not the juggernaut it's been in past movies. I mean, you had the Denny's tie-in, you had Solo Cups, but that was really about it, and ABC did not do a lot of tie-ins. They did more tie-ins for Deadpool, which is not even technically owned by their parent company, than they did for Solo. And I just feel that the commercials weren't there, the tie-ins weren't there, it wasn't in your face, and you it just it came on the heels of Infinity War, which was tremendous, and you couldn't turn around without seeing something with the Avengers on it. And then it, you had Deadpool next, and then you get Solo, which is kind of just making a little peep, if even that. I mean, did you guys see any of the marketing? I mean... If for the ca- for not even a casual fan, for like let's think of like parents. I mean, I don't think my dad knew there's a new Star Wars movie coming out, and he's my barometer for if the marketing is really saturated. Well, I think you hit it on the head there because Deadpool was everywhere leading up to that movie. I mean, and he's on everything literally. So this movie didn't have the marketing push that I think we've seen in the past. I would be curious to know, and I, I don't know that we'll ever get the answer why. They didn't push this one as hard as they've pushed previous films because I think Rogue One got a decent push for advertising, at least from what I remember. I could be wrong there. But I also think it's important to point out here that we haven't pointed out that this is this is Ron Howard's best opening weekend for, for a movie that he's done. So I think that that's kind of getting lost in all this, too. So that's a tremendous success for him. But as far as a Star Wars film, it's a disappointment for Disney as far as the box office numbers. I think we've all pretty much said, you know, we got a good movie, so box office isn't necessarily an indicator of the movie's quality, but there's definitely something that happened there that Disney needs to dig into and figure out, and I know we've mentioned fatigue, I certainly think that might be it, I think you're still going to get some of that Last Jedi polarization where some people just feel like, you know what, you took a dump on my Star Wars and I'm done, as you all know, I definitely don't fall in that camp because I, I love that movie, but it was very polarizing, and I think you're going to see some of that was, was uh, attributed to that box office numbers, too. Yeah, $100 million in a few days is nothing to scoff at, but we're dealing with economies of scale. We're comparing it to other Star Wars movies. And Jerry, I think it was you who mentioned they need to get the Marvel formula going. And when you start looking at the Marvel movies, yes, you have your Avengers films, and you have them... Every few years, the way Star Wars used to be every few years. But then you have these one-off films that create their own franchises. And a solo film, yes, it's Han Solo. That's considered one of the biggest names in Star Wars. But I think the expectations might have been riding too high. Because if you look at Ant-Man, Ant-Man was a solid picture, but it only cost 150 to make. And then it made 500 million global, but only 180 domestic. Solo is very likely to maybe not hit half a billion global because it just doesn't do well in China and Marvel movies do, but it may well hit 200 million domestic and things. I think that, yes, they way overspend because they basically shot two separate movies, one in eight tenths of a movie and 
yeah, I think that they just, after Rogue One, they had modest expectations for Rogue One, and I think that Rogue One kind of put them on, to use Han's term, delusions of grandeur. When Rogue One came out, people were still thirsty for new Star Wars. It was a full year after, you know, Star Wars had just returned, and I think enough people were hearing about it. I think enough people were being told, hey, listen, this isn't episode eight. This is a story that takes place right before the original Star Wars. It it was a little bit easier to explain what's happening here. And then once people saw it, word of mouth, how Darth Vader's in it, and it's like that kind of made sense in a storytelling time. After seeing Solo, I had to sit down and do a little like Nathan P. Butler timeline golding to figure <laughs> out when the hell this thing took place, you know? <laughs> Well, and the real oddball thing about this movie, because of all the production issues, remember Force Awakens, we got a teaser trailer 13 months before the movie came out. Last Jedi, I think, was, what was it, eight months with the um, um, celebration uh, release of that. This one came out four months, maybe three, whatever, you know, one of the Super Bowl was uh, for, uh, early February. So there there was as much of a pull. And I, and I think the realization that, you know, the thing that Rogue One had for it is that you had you had Death Stars, you had Darth Vader. Everyone could really, I think, see that and know like, oh, OK, I totally get where this takes place. Mar- I think part of the Marvel formula is that. They're really because I, I had people at work ask me this. Even people at church ask me this is like, hey, uh, wait a minute. When does just like you said, Justin, when's this movie actually happening? Is it here? Is it here? Is it there? Is it there? And I think doing this, the Rogue One kind of thing it was was good to me because it's like, OK, this is the movie I get when I get my saga movie again next year. I'm not going to get a saga movie every year, just like I don't get an Avengers movie. This is what's holding me over until episode eight. And, and they're going to have to figure out how to do that well, because with Rogue One and Solo not even being consistent with each other, I can see people not being able to keep up with this. That's how Star Wars stories are told, though. You know, ever since Return of the Jedi, that was the last time we had a movie release that was in sequential order, right? This is going to be the way it's the way it is. Like you've got the Ryan Johnson trilogy coming. We don't know when that is. You've got the John Favreau. Uh, TV series, which is going to take place after Return of the Jedi, they don't like to tell their stories in chronological order. I'm fine with that, but I feel like Disney maybe doesn't have a roadmap, and they're a little little apprehensive to put out a movie out of order without an instant grab for the general audience. The first one was the Death Star. That was the grab that let people know, hey, this is Star Wars. This one was Solo. But what they should be doing is telling stories about, you know, basic stormtroopers, things that are going on off screen during some of these time periods, instead of trying to, you know, shoehorn in characters, backstories that we may or may not have been asking for. Yes, Justin, thank you. That's what I want from them. I mean, we have this gigantic universe to play in and we're just we're we're staying in this tiny little corner where everything is still interconnected and you know the time frame for me doesn't so much matter i could see maybe with the general audience where someone would get confused uh and by the end of this movie they're really going to be confused and we'll get to that but uh, i mean we can talk about you know the timing and, and where it fits in the timeline, but I don't think it's that. I, I think you need to tell an engaging story, and I think people want something new, you know? I mean, they're talking, what, we're talking Boba Fett movie, and I'm just kind of like, okay, you know, do I 
need a Boba Fett movie? No, I kind of feel the same way about that as I did when we first started talking about Solo. You know, let me see, like, a special commando unit of stormtroopers. Let's go back and see, you know, the Jedi and, and, the, and the Old Republic. I mean, you have all this time that you could explore, and we just keep hanging around in the same corner of the, of the galaxy. Well, you brought up the Boba Fett movie, and, you know, it very well could be that the Solo movie could be the start of them kind of settling in this time frame between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope. You know, you've got the rumored Boba Fett movie that could easily tie in with, you know, Solo, since he's now going off to Tatooine to be with Jabba. And you've got the rumored Kenobi movie, which also ties into this, which also ties into that mysterious character at the end of solo i you know i very well could be that they do have a roadmap and that this is kind of the launching point for that but i think it's something they're working out as they go because rogue one is an outlier here it justin you said you want stories about stormtrooper number one you kind of got that with rogue one that was rebels number one through seven just trying to get the Death Star plans. But I agree with what you guys are saying. I don't know how much the roadmap has been working out. I don't know how much is proactive and planning versus reactive. But I think I'm talking to some of the most ardent Star Wars fans I know. And when we had a movie every three years, it was something to really look forward to. And for us, there was never that big of a lull, right? I mean, we had the movie come out, then we had the video release late in the year, and then we still had toys coming out for the next year, and we had books, we had video games, we had stuff that kept it going as we built back up to a movie three years later. And is it me, or do the current movies, quality aside, it doesn't feel as special, does it? Because they're just coming too fast. Well, I think for me, a lot of that is is because of what brings a lot of us together here is Hasbro. Hasbro doesn't have the time to support any of these movies with a full line. I mean, the stuff we got for Solo was already done and in production well over a year ago. And who knows where the movie was at that point and what these characters were. So for us to ever get a full movie line of figures, is I feel like that's a thing of the past. And that, that's what kept us going for those three years in between episodes before. I think, you know, to, to add to your point, Justin, we had three years in between movies. So we had time to an, anticipate the next movie, you know, literally after we walked out of the theater to start anticipating what the next movie might be when we knew that there was one coming, you know, coming down the road. But we also had those three years to familiarize ourselves with the movie that we just saw, the dialogue, the little ins and outs you know, the background character that you're not going to see the first two times that you watch the movie, we catch all that. And then, to your point, we get the the huge line of figures where, you know, we're going to start to get into some of these really ancillary background characters that were on screen for two seconds to really make, your, your, you know, the collecting part of it rich and, and fun. And, you know, we got, what, I think five or six new figures in the first wave of five POA, three and three quarter, and in the second wave we get one solo figure, and that's Moloch, right? Otherwise, we get Leia, and we're getting Snow because the other new figures and everything else is a repack carry forward. Same thing with the 6-inch. We're just not getting that breath. And some of that is, like you said, Hasbro does not have the time to, to you know, we're on to the next movie. We're on to the next one. So they don't have time to put out a huge line. I'm actually looking forward to this break in between to see what Hasbro is going to kind of give us to fill in the gap. 
but it kind of feels like it's just so abrupt, and then we're on to the next one, and we don't even get Wave 4, because by the time we get to Wave 4, they're like, oh, nope, that's an online exclusive Wave, because we got to move on to the next one. So I think that that kind of takes away from the overall experience of, I have three years to submerge myself in this movie and anticipate the next one. But to answer your question, Arnie, it is losing some of its specialness. It just... You know, I was like, oh, man, we're already in May. We're going to see Solo. I feel like we just got over Last Jedi. And some of that is because we're still discussing Last Jedi in some places um, and because that was so polarizing. But it just feels like, boom, here we are again. And so Marvel, for whatever reason, is able to do that and have immense success. And it doesn't feel like fatigue. So I don't know why with Star Wars it feels like fatigue. Well, I think it's because we're used to that three-year schedule. You know, Star Wars used to be an event movie where everybody would go. You'd have, you know, lines around the block. And, and part of the, I think, the lack of the event feel these days is also because movie theaters are doing reserved seating. So you don't have the, you know, the news story about the guy who's waiting in line three weeks in advance so that he can make sure he gets in and gets a good seat. You know, I think that there's just culturally we're shifting away from event movies. And because we're used to star Wars being an event movie, when you go to the theater opening night and it's not a completely sold out theater, it feels it feels strange and it feels almost like a letdown that you don't have people hooting and hollering throughout the entire movie in, in a completely packed space. It just it, it feels strange. I'll agree, but I do want to point out uh, Force Awakens for me, full theater, Rogue One, full theater, Last Jedi, full theater, Solo, less than I mean, just under half a theater. So, I mean, you know, and that's kind of what I've seen online. So it seems to be in particular, it was this movie that didn't draw because from what I've read online and heard from other people, I mean, they had full theaters for the other three Disney films. It was this one that didn't get the draw. So, you know, maybe now we're just starting to feel the fatigue. But you're right. We've been conditioned for three years. And I think us as the older fans are like, yes, let's I would be perfectly fine if they said we're going back to every three years, honestly, at this point. I'd be good with every other, just a little bit of space. We've brought up a couple times, why can Marvel pull off three films a year and not feel like fatigue and Star Wars can't? But I think what Marvel has is, first of all, they did two movies the first year. The second one did not do very well, Incredible Hulk. And then they took a year off, and then they did one movie. And then they did two, then they did one, they ramped up to it, right? They whetted our appetites at the beginning. And then their movies feel very different. I mean, when you say they had three movies, Guardians of the Galaxy, Spider-Man Homecoming, and Thor Ragnarok were all three really distinct films last year, weren't they? I didn't feel the same thing out of any of them. And the same thing with Black Panther. You get a couple crossover characters, but... They stand alone and they work on their own with their own spy movie feel or action movie or comedy or teen drama feel that you have. So I think the problem right now is a Star Wars film is just one thing, a Star Wars film, and they haven't reached out to different genres. And it sounds like Lord and Miller were trying to take it into the realm of wacky comedy, and Kathleen Kennedy was like, no. And if the shower scene with Chewbacca is any indication, Kathleen Kennedy was right. Yeah, I feel like like this movie was the one that I was expecting to really feel different. You know, they, they talked up how 
uh, Rogue One was going to be this war movie and it was going to, you know, be gritty. Well, I mean, we all saw how that turned out. It was pretty much just like a Star Wars movie. Um, but this one, like, I, and I think that they got close to having it feel different. It's not, it's not big and epic. It's, it's a lot smaller of a feeling movie and it, it's, uh, you know, it's a heist film. So that's, that's different, although it's, they kind of tried to do a, a heist in uh, in Rogue One, but this was focused on you know that um, that typical trope of here's a a group of um, not so uh, good guys who aren't on the straight and narrow trying to steal from people, and I, I think that they they started going that way. I just don't know if they didn't go quite enough in that direction for me as to what I was hoping they were going to do, but I think that they're they're starting to to maybe with this movie move in that direction. But the question is, we're, you know, with the box office, will they continue to move in that direction? Um, I think for me, this feels like in places, this feels like two distinct movies. I think Arnie mentioned the shower scene with Han and Chewie, which that kind of jarred me out of the movie. The first, for me, the first 45 minutes of this movie just moves at breakneck speed to the point where I'm having trouble keeping up. I also felt, you know, I, I know it was mentioned in the now playing, but I, I felt like the movie was dark. I had trouble seeing things. And then we get to the train heist and it, it kind of shifts into a completely different movie. And so there's parts of the movie that kind of it feels like two different movies in some places. And that was hard. I mean, after the train heist, I felt, you know, when we get to the train heist, I'm like, OK, it starts to kind of hit its groove. I'm OK. But. For me, that first 45 minutes, I've never done this in a Star Wars movie. This is the first Star Wars movie I've ever looked at my watch, and I did. And I looked at it just before we were at the 45-minute mark, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I have another over an hour of this movie? That's how I felt after 45 minutes. I'll say this for the movie. I, I never found myself being bored with it. There was always at least plenty to look at on screen, and I do appreciate everything they put into set design, and the world designs, we, we got to see what Corellia looks like, at least some of the shipyards. You know, we, we got we finally got to see Kessel. That was pretty cool. I mean, there's a lot of visually good things going on in this movie. So at the very least, the look of it, except for some of the darker parts, I you know, I, I can see what people are saying where it was dark. I mean, it wasn't to me. It, it felt like they were trying to go for CD underground and like over or underexposed the, the shot a little bit. But yeah, I wonder if they're going to clean that up for home release. I will say this to your point, Justin, is that, and I, I said this kind of when people ask me online and whatnot, I honestly feel like visually this movie felt, in the Disney era, felt more like Star Wars than any other movie we've seen. The, the last, the, the final battle of Rogue One withstanding, because I think that, that that does feel like Star Wars, but through and through visually, this movie felt like Star Wars more than any of the other Disney films. So do you guys do you guys want to nitpick a little little bits and parts here? Because it sounds like for the most part everybody enjoyed the movie. Nobody outright hated it. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, but let's talk about what we liked before we hit the nitpicks. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've been pretty negative up to this point. Let's hit a high note. I, I gotta say, I love the actor that they have playing Chewbacca, and I'm really glad that he got a lot more screen time here than he has in the in the two sequel movies so far, this this guy really does embody Chewbacca. And I don't know if it's a form of mimicry or whatnot, but he's got it. I really believe that that's the same Wookiee that we've always seen on screen. I agree. I forgot it wasn't Peter Mayhew. I think they 
even though this guy doesn't have that gait. When I first saw Peter Mayhew in person at Celebration 2 walking down the hallway, I was like, oh my god, it's Chewbacca's walk. And you don't realize Chewbacca has a walk until you see somebody doing the Chewbacca walk and not in the costume. While he doesn't have that walk, the body language, the head movements, absolutely everything was perfect. I think he was tremendous. I also think Donald Glover is a national treasure now who should get his own Lando movie. Yeah, I, I'll agree with Chewbacca. I really do like the this new actor. He actually was at MegaCon. I was at MegaCon the Friday after this came out. Unfortunately, he wasn't at MegaCon until Saturday and Sunday, and we were only there for the one day. But I really would have liked to have, have – um, I'm not an autograph guy, but just had some interaction with him because I thought he did great as Chewbacca – and Chewbacca actually has, you know, stuff to do uh, in this movie. And Lando, Donald Glover is Lando. Uh, it was it was excellent. I loved him. Um, he really channeled that character and and some Billy D as well. Um, I, I, you know, really I can't pick on any of the characters in this. I personally really liked Rio and L three. I'm I was a little bummed that you know they both get killed off as quickly as they do. And and with Val, we don't really get to know Val very much. I think maybe. That might be the one character where we could say we don't know very much. I think um, – so I, I like the characters here. I, I like what they did, and you know, I think everything worked as far as the characters go and the actors that played them. If you had to pick a weak point, I thought Woody Harrelson was fine. Maybe there's some parts where um, Paul Bettany playing Drayden, you know, but I think that's just the, the weak villain role you know, that he had to, had to play. I liked Paul Bettany. I liked him as charming villain versus – We've seen so many authoritarian villains in Star Wars, right? It seems every villain plays that same note. We've never seen one who's smiling and happy and yet ready to gut you with his lightsaber vibroblade. I thought he was good. Alden Ehrenreich, I kind of think he had some work to do. You know, I just, he and Kira just didn't win me over. I didn't feel any chemistry between them. I didn't feel like either of them were characters I was really invested in. I was going with Alden Ehrenreich as a character named Han, who shares the same name, but otherwise no relation to a Han that Harrison Ford used to play. I was willing to go with it like that, because I just didn't see him as a young Harrison Ford. But I just didn't get a whole lot from either of our two leads. I actually liked uh, their chemistry. That's kind of what sold me into the movie right from the get-go. There's a scene uh, when they're in that Lady Proxima's underworld uh, where they first meet up and um, they have that, you know, that very 1950s movie kiss, right? very pg and it was just it, i don't know what it was but it just felt like one of those you know movies of the 1950s where you know there's these two young kids and they're um they've got nowhere else to go but up as far as they're concerned they're going to take on the world uh and nothing but but optimism and and um you know the the street racing and i just i i really liked that part of their um of their relationship and that's the moment where it's like yeah i think i'm gonna i think i'm gonna have fun with this movie i i definitely enjoyed the the characterization both of these actors brought you know alden ehrenreich is he's not doing a harrison ford impression which is fine 
And, you know, for the most part, I went along with it. And I really wasn't pulled out of the movie ever thinking, oh, geez, here's a guy who's, you know, acting like Han Solo. He was he was Han Solo for this movie. But, you know, I, I really enjoyed Kira's character. You know, I really know her from Game of Thrones mostly. And this was, you know, this was a different role for her. She got to be, you know, a little bit different. But maybe, well, maybe not so different. Her haircut was different. But <laughs> No, I, I definitely believe that these two guys were were young and naive and all that each other had. And then when they get split up, I, I totally bought that that was Han's driving goal was to get back to Kira. And by the time he gets to her, I totally buy that her life took a different path and she was no longer this naive orphan trying to make her way on the streets. She had moved up the ladder in this crime family. Yeah, they both worked for me. I, I didn't have a problem. Um, I, I, too, have watched all the Game of Thrones. I'm current on that. I think it is a little bit different role for her. I think she's in a more, it's a more, you know, authoritative, you know, more, she kind of chews up the scenery in Game of Thrones, whereas here, I feel like she's a good complement to uh, Alden. And I, I thought they worked well together. For me, it was working. What about the story? I mean, when it comes to Han Solo's backstory, it's been covered in old expanded universe novels and things. I know Chris earlier said he didn't feel like he needs a Boba Fett movie. Did this enlighten you guys in any way to Han Solo? Because for me, it kind of hit the marks. They're good marks, but the meet cute with Chewie, the get the Falcon, the get the gun. I mean, he picked up stuff I never even expected him to pick up. It was almost like a game of King's Quest. He went place to place and picked up things he would have in A New Hope. You know, Arnie, I think that's one of the things I enjoyed about this movie is that we didn't have... This wasn't a movie that was trying to tell us things we didn't really need to know about the character. This wasn't, you know, Attack of the Clones telling us that, hey, Boba Fett is a... uh, is a unaltered clone of Django and Django's hired by whatever here. We know it's going to check off some boxes. So in that way, it's a safe, let us tell you about how he meets Chewie because we all kind of know the, the what I always imagine that being a little different than them being kind of prisoners together versus I, I always pictured Han, you know, setting Chewie free and them going off on the run together, but it's close enough how he gets a ship, how he meets Lando. I mean, Kudos for them for not having Boba Fett walk across the screen. We leave a little something for something in the future. But you know what? It's like I kind of knew how these things were going to go down or how they were supposed to go down. And it was just fun to see them play out on screen in a way that I think held true to my preconceived notions of how these things go. Now, they're not things I made up in my head. I mean, we've gotten enough from Lucasfilm over the years or Lucas books or whatever, Lucas arts or what, you know, all the, 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 the different uh, uh, divisions that kind of told us what it was supposed to kind of be like, but so it was safe. It checked off the boxes, but I thought it just gave it to me fairly well. I mean, personally, I th- I know we're talking story here, but the, the one thing that I thought was a little weird is just this concept of solo, not necessarily being his real name, just made up a- as a joke. I thought that was kind of odd, but it didn't take me out of it. So overall, I thought the story was linear guys from point A to point B and hit all the marks along the way. And it was just fun. That's that's kind of where I laid out on it, too, Jerry, is I feel like they gave me answers to questions that I might have had. You know, how did the, him and Chewie meet? How did he end up with the Falcon? Why was his last name Solo? Never a question I asked, nor did I feel like he needed answering. Where did his blaster come from? Eh, not that big of a deal. It's something Beckett threw at him. Fine. But I guess my my it's not really a problem. 
it just it seems like a little bit of too much of this stuff what they're considering character development is if you were to extrapolate this to another character and we were talking about luke when he was like 14 are we going to see where he got his karate gi white outfit and him trying on different shoes and maybe uncle owen going out and buying that land speeder i mean you can't just make a backstory about somebody about how they acquired things there needs to be more to it for me to bite into (laughs) have you seen x-men origins wolverine (laughs) (laughs) i thought that was a race from canonicity (laughs) now but no i mean and i guess i'm saying that sounds like a complaint but i think they did just enough of it to not overdo it it felt a little overdone with the solo last name thing but they knew to let it go and not dwell on it yeah, I was actually expecting more points to be hit. Um, I was expecting to see, uh, you know, we didn't see how Chewie gets his bowcaster. We didn't see how Han got his, uh, you know, white shirt, black jacket, and pants with the Carillion blood stripe. We didn't see Han drop his his shipment at the first sign of an Imperial cruiser. You know, I, I was expecting to see a lot more, and I'm glad they uh, had some restraint in in that regard. And as far as the the solo name thing, I went right along with it. I've been reading the uh, uh, the old vintage uh, storybooks with my daughter, and in Return of the Jedi, um, after it's right before everybody leaves Tatooine, Luke has a thought about whether or not Han's last name really is Solo or if it's just one that he acquired because it fits his his lifestyle. And so when they did that, I, I, I just went right along with it because that's, I mean, that's what I've been, um, you know, thinking, you know, apparently in the back of my mind since 1987 or 1983. So I, I didn't have a problem with that. I didn't have a problem with them checking the boxes. I think if anything, um, although Andrew's point that he just made about Chewie's bowcaster and dropping the, the shipments and that kind of stuff kind of makes me rethink it a little bit. But I almost feel like you checked too many boxes. I feel like you could have left some of that for, and if Disney was looking at doing a further solo film, you could have left some of that to expand into the next film. You didn't necessarily have to check all of the boxes. That being said, none of it took me out of the movie. The solo thing was like, huh, I guess I never really thought of how he got his last name, and it didn't bother me. It was just like, okay, that works for me. Um, so it was all right. I mean, like I said, I think that maybe, you know, my only critique of it would be, well, you could have left some of it for, you know, down the road. Um, I am, you know, I'm glad we didn't see Boba Fett. I'm glad we didn't see R2 and 3PO because I f- was looking for them. I was like, oh, they're going to shoehorn them in somewhere here. I was glad we didn't see them in there. I loved, though, that Anthony Daniels, I haven't seen him, but I read his tweet. He actually was sent to the Spice Mines of Kessel. He was a prisoner in the mines. He wasn't C-3PO, but Anthony Daniels was there. Yeah, I caught him on my second viewing. I saw him. He's got, like, this, you know, long, stringy hair, I think, and he's, uh, you know, telling everybody, you know, this way, this way, um, during the the big revolt um, on on Kessel. Yeah, it was fun, because I... the first time I saw it, I heard his voice, but I didn't catch, um, you know, where it was coming from. But the second time I was looking for him. I guess that makes him the Stan Lee of Star Wars, then. He's been in every one, right? Yeah, he's perhaps the only person to be in every single film. And this was his second unmasked role after Attack of the Clones being in the Outlander Club. Though I, I, I may have to give the Stan Lee nod to Warwick Davis as well. He's playing the same character he was in episode one. Yeah, but, but hey, he got lines in this one. 
a line. <laughs> Not as many as Ron Howard gave him in Willow, but yeah, he got a line. <laughs> I mean, Clint Howard had more, but. <laughs> Spe- yeah, okay. This really should have been called Weasel, a Star Wars story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because uh, that would have sold better. <laughs> Speak- speaking of that crew, though, that Warwick Davis was in, you know, going into the movie, I didn't hear a whole ton of speculation about things. I mean, there was a little talk about, geez, I wonder how the Falcon got so dirty in the, the following years and stuff like that. But the one image that I heard a lot of people talking about and speculating about was that shot of emptiness crew on the beach and people are trying to pick out oh what's that little guy is that a is that an ewok and oh somebody thought they saw a bausch over on the other side and stuff like that did you guys partake in any of that was it was there anything not in that crew that you'd thought you had seen previously no i the one thing i will say is when we saw the the previews or the trailers originally i thought that rio was maz because when they do that very first quick sweeping shot the first time i saw that I thought, oh, is that Maz? Because they kind of have that same turtle look to them. Yep, I thought the same thing. Yeah, with Emphis Nest Crew, I didn't really speculate on any of that. I didn't, you know, I kind of thought it was interesting, um, but I didn't really sit there and try and figure out who was who. That was two tubes, right? From Saw Guerrero's crew? Yeah. Is it two tubes? Because I've heard it's not two tubes. I've heard it's his brother. They well, all look the same. There's two of them in Rogue One. <laughs> didn't, so which, didn't the book say it was, though, the um, um, whatever visual guide or whatever came out? I thought something actually confirmed it. I don't know, but whoever it was, it had the exact same outfit as one of the two from Rogue One. Now, see, one of my problems is I have not done my second viewing yet, where is in which I then focus on background stuff. I mean, that's... That's coming Saturday. I will see it at least a second time. But usually I, I I watch them the first time to just take in the story, the plot. Second time I'm focusing on the background. So I haven't done that yet. So I've, I've heard more about this movie after a viewing, but before a second viewing than I have any of the other ones. The other, the other movies I had the second viewing done the same day, right? So uh, this is a little different for me, which I think is, by the way, I think might be a key thing about the box office. I don't, I don't hear anybody having seen this movie three, four, five times like – Perhaps some of us may have done with The Last Jedi in the first four days. I'm like you, Jerry. I've only actually seen it the once. Um, I'm going to go see it again this Saturday. And I'm looking it up. I'm trying to look it up. And it does look like it is, in fact, two tubes. Because I'm guessing the same number of people, Star, particularly Star Wars fans, saw this movie as Last Jedi. They only saw it once. <laughs> that could be. I saw it twice opening weekend just because I wanted to take it all in and I wanted to be sure there wasn't something wrong with my first theater's bulb as I couldn't see anything for about the first 45 minutes. But You have now playing uh, uh, requirements, too. <laughs> very true, very true. Yeah, I've just gone the once so far, but I do plan on going again before it's off the big screen. Now, what about the Kessel Run? Did it live up to your expectations? Was it everything you dreamt it would be? No. Absolutely. What? No. <laughs> no. I was expecting so much more for this thing that defined Han Solo. And like what? Like what? Give me a give me a for instance. What was in what was in your mind for what the Kessel Run would be? I kind of thought it was like this giant race, like kind of like a Fast and Furious kind of thing. That's the cannonball run. Yeah, kind of like that, because I mean, I grew up with the cannonball runs. <laughs> kind of thought it was I something thought, like that. I thought it was a race, too, growing up. 
The only thing different in my head is I always just assumed it was just Han and Chewie, not like the whole group and Beckett in there putting the hyperfuel in there to give him the little boost and then the plug in the droid to get the navigation. I just I just thought it's just the two of them. Like they're on they're on the run, just like Han and Chewie do, just the two of them. And that's what the Kessel run was. And like when when Han's describing it to Obi-Wan, it was for some reason I had in my head. It was like something that happened like inside the last year, (laughs) like. Dude, this this was just in the papers like two months ago. You didn't hear about this? <laughs> I wish Han had done more as part of the Kessel Run. It seems like L3 really did the hard lift there, and then they kind of cheated by putting some nitrous in the engine. I didn't really get that Han did the Kessel Run so much as the ship did the Kessel Run. I don't know. Yeah. He was doing some pretty crazy maneuvers, you know, think, yeah. f- doing flips and knocking TIE fighters into asteroids and doing the whole skid thing. And I, I don't I felt he was doing a fine job flying the ship. I think that the all L3 did was she just made a map and then Han She's had the to GPS. Yeah. Like Han had to actually like fly the ship. You don't knock a driver because they have a GPS in their car. I, n- I never thought that, but the the Beckett putting the nitrous in was like, oh. <laughs> so it, what it, I take it as is that route that they end up taking is kind of a one trick pony because you know if anybody else has tried to replicate that and they got that far and they were at the mouth of that maw, they would probably get sucked in and not be able to take that shortcut unless they have an escape pod to jettison <laughs> and hyperfuel <laughs> to to rocket blast yeah, them out right. of there. Right. It's fine. I mean, it was an exciting scene. And I, I'm kind of with Marjorie, though. Like, I, I joked about it, but I, I always just assumed that it was a race or some some sort of feat of skill, you know, where it was all about, you know, oh, you made this crazy turn and you found a shortcut. But it was more about escaping with their lives. And, oh, wow, we happened to break a record that apparently was standing. I, yeah, I would have heard- liked... I just would have liked something like a line or something where L3 discovered this route and somebody goes, it's far too dangerous. No pilot can do it. Kind of like when 3PO says the odds of surviving an asteroid field. And so to then have Han do it and maybe the Falcon gets some damage because it's close calls, but that we actually see him as a pilot making it. We see him do it on the run from the TIE fighters and on the run from the squid but I just don't see it as part of the Kessel run. Now, to yeah, be fair, I never saw it as a as a as a race. So maybe that's that's why I enjoyed it because I never had that in my mind. I always just figured it was a smuggling run, and they had to you know have a shortcut. Um, I yeah, I never never saw it as as a race. So maybe that's maybe that's the difference. Now, to be fair, when Hans bragged about it at Moss Eisley, he says the Millennium Falcon was the ship that made the Kessel Run. He didn't say he right. had anything to do with it. <laughs> yep. yep. Exactly. Kind of, the kind ship of was point. able to do it. Yeah, kind well, of to Arnie's point, what I would like to have seen is maybe, I know we didn't spend a lot of time with Imperials here, but they were being chased. I went to mind like a shot to the bridge of a Star Destroyer and somebody saying, sir, they're gone. And somebody's like, that's impossible. They... They made the Kessel Run in less than 12 parsecs. Some some sort of outside verification that what just happened actually happened rather than some people on a ship who are now telling a tall tale to people around the galaxy. Yes. I, I, well, I they had to have made it within, you know, that whatever, you know, the 12 parsecs, because the whole thing is that the coaxium, or I like to keep saying is the coaxial cables, the coaxium um is going to explode if they don't get there soon enough. So the fact that they got there soon enough tells me that they did do a shortcut. It, it wasn't a 
there was no tall tale unless you count Hans, you know, rounding it down. Sorry, and even Obi-Wan has on Moss Eisley this look of like, yeah, right. I mean, Alec Guinness kind of sells like whatever. So the fact that it's not verified or the Imperials, even I mean, if you, I, I think, Justin, honestly, I think if you showed a little scene of the Imperials like that, since they haven't really been focused, that would just been a little awkward. But yeah, at the same time, it's just kind of fun that that's Han's story to tell. And some people are going to call it for being BS and some are going to people will be like, no, we were there. It really happened. And whatever. It's it's the big fish story. And it's, well, it, he's it, so it, cocky about it, too. It's the first thing he does when he gets off the ship is start telling strangers. <laughs> yeah, I made the castle run in 12 parsecs. Well, it does eventually get, you know, I mean, it does get around because Ray even has that line in The Force Awakens. It's the Millennium Falcon, the ship that made the Kessel Run in say 14. (laughs) And he corrects her. Yeah. So, I mean, it's obviously the story has gotten out. I mean, it's out there. It's, you know, over the years it has made its way through the galaxy and people have heard of it. This is a galaxy, though, at that point who can't even verify the Jedi existed. Oh, that's true. So who was your favorite character? I'm going to say mine was definitely John Favreau. I'm not too big on Star Wars pops. I get the ones I like, but I came really close to buying that pop just because Hasbro has not given us a figure, dang it, in any scale. <laughs> I ended up really loving Chewbacca. And, you know, Chewbacca's always just kind of been there like, you know, a great dog or something. But I fell in love with the pop with Chewie with the goggles. It is so stinking cute. You know, admittedly, I'll have to just say that I... I really liked how everyone came together in the ensemble piece of it. I mean, I, I, I think everything clicked. Everyone had their role. Of course, the movie's called Solo, but it's part of having Chewie doing the right things and Lando doing the right things and the Falcon being a character and, hey, we're going to Kessel. We're doing the Kessel run. Those are all the things that reminded me that this guy playing Solo was Solo. And, and so, so to me, that was a big help. It, they're truly... I think a good supporting cast for what this movie needed. And I, I can't tell you, I, I really can't answer that question. No one stood out to me. It was just like, Hey, they all, they all blended very well. I'll answer kind of the same way Arnie did. You know, a lot, a lot of these guys did a really good job and it made me feel like I was watching a solo movie, but who's the one that I hope they make an action figure of? Yeah. Rio. He's one of the most unique looking aliens we've seen in a while. He, he says, Wookie instead of Wookie, which is <laughs> awesome inside of a Star Wars movie. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to see a figure of him. You know, I, I think I tipped my hand a little earlier when I was talking about I wanted more Rio in the movie. So I would say Rio, since you guys have already said it, a close second for me would be L3. Uh, I just I know that it's kind of a, a little bit of a beat for beat with K2SO, but I feel like K2SO was more sarcastic and she was like more in your face about it so i just kind of like that i like kind of the play that they had there with her leading this revolution of droids it was just kind of funny and then to see you know i kind of liked how lando got all broken up about oh you know uh sexuality thing aside you know got broken up about (laughs) about you know her getting you know getting shot and then trying to carry her i mean that moment he he sold that moment to me i was like oh my gosh i felt horrible for lando you know i'm like oh his friend here just you know and he's he's broken up about it like to the point where han has to go get him because he can't you know he can't function yeah you keep lando away from my pans damn it but (laughs) I really liked the droids in this. Just the droid designs from the two little battle bots that were fighting on the where they meet Lando to all the different droids. The gonk droid dancing on the panel that was sparking during the droid rebellion. I just loved the little droid designs in this. I just I 
a lot of, I guess, I, there were some wind-up toys at Disney Parks online site that I've ordered that are in the three and three quarter inch scale. Yeah, they're going to have a little wine knob of those two battle bots, but I, I just had to have them for my figure collection. Yeah, talk about a missed marketing opportunity. Where's our battle bot app to tie into this? Make your own Star Wars related droid and take it into battle. Or rock em, sock em with the droid with the two droids. Yeah, they only had five months, and they thought that Episode Eight would be, and rightly so, the larger marketing opportunity. One thing that Steve Evans said about this movie is they have the rest of the year to continue to market for Solo. The video release will be happening in the fall, and then you've got the holidays. There's not another Star Wars movie for, what, 19 months? They have time. Maybe we'll get lucky and they'll throw together a Chewy special for around the holidays. Where he goes home. Life day. <laughs> <laughs> holiday special two. Am I the only one who thought Mala was going to be in this from the holiday special? Because in the trailer, yes. you see Chewie like, put his head up against another Wookiee. And that Wookiee was a freaky looking Wookiee, right? Like, no <laughs> hair on face looking... Oh, that's yeah, perfect, you, though. They're, they're, they're stuck on Kessel. I mean, they're they're malnourished. They haven't seen the sun. I mean, I, I, I'm guessing it was something like, hey, we got to whip together a costume and, and, and fill in the scene. It's not perfect. But to me, it it, it, it matched like these Wookiees aren't in great shape. They're not Chewbacca strong right now. Now, I, lo- I loved your comment on now playing. I mean, I don't know how the heck they got off the planet, but uh, Chewie got them out of the cave. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you're right, Arnie. That You nailed it. That's, that's Shaka. I mean, grown up and now working on on Kessel. That's <laughs> but no, I was I was hoping to canonize Mala. I really was. I thought for sure the way that they embraced in that quick scene in the trailer that that was somebody that Chewie loved and had to leave because he's going to go serve his life debt. But no, it was just a random ugly Wookiee that they fought side by side for. No, wait a minute. Speaking speaking of checking the boxes, we never heard that life debt phrase, did we? No. No, we never no. heard it. It has never been said, though. It was never in any of the movies. Episode one. Yeah, the Gungans <laughs> have <laughs> life debts. That's a little odd. I figured that'd been the, uh, especially since uh, Han apparently uh, speaks and understands Wookiee so well, which, I mean, we always figure you understood it, but interesting. I don't know. I kind of like it that it's not a life debt. It makes the relationship a little bit more real i guess like it makes it more meaningful that he's choosing to go along with han than you know having to go along like like jar jar did with oh that's fair and qui-gon yeah that's fair yeah Yeah. sure i mean the picture the holiday picture the holiday special painted was a little jacked up it's like chewy is just like abandoned his family for the most part (laughs) shows up once a year for for life dad Exactly. Sends a child support check once every, you know, four or five years, whatever. He's a trucker, a drug runner, and it's wartime. I mean, I think he's lucky to get home that often. (laughs) All right. Justin, you wanted to nitpick. I'll give you the floor. All right. We've, We've talked about a few of them, so none of them were major. The only part of this movie that pulled me out and, like, almost made me have an inception moment in my brain and, like, it was a few minutes later when I snapped out and, like, okay, I'm watching a movie. Was early on, Han's in that airport, whatever, and there's a commercial for the Empire, and they're actually playing a version of the Imperial March on yes. that commercial. I'm like, no, you can't do yes. that in your universe. That's for <laughs> us. I also... <laughs> 
it was a little inception-y. It's like, wait a second, that you've co-opted that. And that's not the first movie to do it either. I've noticed that happening more and more in movies like this. I can't remember the other one that did it very recently. And then, of course, Jurassic Park is the king of it. But I... Yeah, that was weird to have the Imperial March as a recruitment theme. And I also thought they were recreating the shot from A New Hope with the two Star Destroyers flying at that same angle. Only now it's a recruitment video. Like, look, you can be on one of these. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. I didn't actually notice that that was the music playing the first time I watched it. Um, I just kind of went along with it, I think, because, I mean, you know, I watch Rebels and they did the same thing in Rebels where that was it was they basically used the Imperial March in a, in a major key um, for uh, a parade that that was going on. So I, I think it just kind of, you know, it went in one ear and out the other. I didn't even really pay attention to it. I wanted to ask you guys, we're talking about things that kind of pulled you out. So I like what they had what, what little of the Empire we did see in here. I actually would have liked to have seen a little more Empire, but that Mud Trooper. I felt like I was watching Sucker Punch for a minute there. Too a little too real world for you. Yeah, it just it just it just didn't look right. It looked like steampunk meant you know something else, and it just it didn't look like something the Imperials would be wearing. I was like, hey, I was waiting for someone to come out with a sword here in this weird you know, <laughs> you know Sucker Punch scene. <laughs> That's one thing I always do enjoy with new Star Wars movies is some sort of evolution of the trooper gear and. I think they did a decent job here. We got somewhat of a biker scout slash stormtrooper helmet guy early on. Um, we had those mud troopers, which if you look at it, it's almost like a precursor to snow troopers. They got a lot of the same armor pieces, yet some of the other parts are brought in from scarif troopers. I think whoever designed these did a good job of grabbing pieces that felt of the world. But the one thing that I found funny was one of the few figures we have gotten is a Mimbin stormtrooper that is kind of, it's just basically a stormtrooper with a cape on. So I, I was expecting them to have some sort of role in the movie. Nope. They're just kind of in the background as you walk by. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? The stormtrooper with the, the black cape. Yep. Yeah. yeah the one that's really muddy, really dirty. <laughs> yeah. I still am trying to figure out what the infantry was on Mimbin. If it's not stormtroopers, I thought stormtroopers were the infantry. You, you mentioned that on now playing it. It got me thinking that, I vaguely recall as a kid, and I don't know if it's from Topps trading cards or storybooks or whatever, but kind of hearing stormtroopers being like the shock troopers, like maybe not the grunts you send in there at first, but the ones that go in to get the job done sort of type of trooper. So I've heard that distinction over the years, but I think it's certainly evolved in, yeah, hey, uh, Imperial ship lands, the door opens, stormtroopers come out. So, um, golly, if we're talking about like the universe feeling too small or whatever, I mean, I never once questioned that there's a arm of the infantry ground military that's not necessarily a stormtrooper. I mean, they're army versus marines. I don't know, so I, I, I never questioned that. But it's a it's an interesting observation. Yeah, I almost can kind of take it as like they're the the lowest of the low, right? I mean, heck, the the empire is so desperate for these ground troops that they will basically just take anybody at a spaceport who says, Hey, sign me up. You know, they, they obviously need to cut back on, on some of their spending cause they're making a giant battle station. So maybe these are just the, the, you know, cheap cobbled together armor that, that they, you know, put together on these poor guys who are, they're just shoving out there to get killed. 
I mean, it's it's basically the same armor Veers was wearing on on the ad ad at Hoth. So I mean, it's it exists somehow. I mean, that right. looks like more officer armor because he's not on the field, but in case there's a stray blast, he's protected. But I, I accept it was fine. I didn't I didn't question it. All right, if we're going to nitpick, I guess I have one minor quibble. Or by minor quibble, I mean major freaking problem. Darth Maul? Really? Yes. Who, who's that? Yeah. I'm sorry. Why can't he just Maul? He's, you know, it's he's, he's just Maul now. It's like... He's like Madonna. Yeah, or Cher. The artist formerly known as Maul. Yeah, I saw him. <laughs> just, to, just to level set, who who here watches the animated stuff? Me. From time to time, I do. I know he brought back to life. I saw all the episodes of Clone Wars with him, except for like the last couple. Did anybody on this call not know that he would be alive in the quote unquote canon? No, I, I, I explained it to a couple people. Um, a guy at my church who, who's really in, you know, sees the movies just like we do. And he was a little confused about this, and but he knows nothing about the anime. And I was like, you know, in theory, they. I guess formally killed him off in an episode of Rebels. So I, I haven't been watching a lot of Rebels, but I watched that one because it was supposed to be Maul and Kenobi, and it was lackluster, I think, to say the least. But in theory, if you if you if you take that, then Maul lived all the way up until the the, the Rebels, which I guess you know those names are referenced in Rogue One, which leads right into New Hope. So I mean, Nathan could probably tell us the exact year, two BBY or whatever, <laughs> you know, whatever that the, the, those episodes of Rebels take us to. But he's He's easily alive here. It it totally makes sense. I, I, I personally like I've actually liked there's two things I like about this. A, I had no idea that was coming. B, I I get that Darth Maul's role is leading criminal syndicates underground. There's a little thing there that the Clone Wars started, so I liked the tie in. That said, I can imagine just Joe Blow movie audience member who vaguely remembers Phantom Menace has gotta be confused as heck. Yeah, I was talking with uh, somebody at work and you know, he's a Star Wars fan, but he's a Star Wars movie fan, right? He doesn't watch any of the cartoons. He doesn't read any of the books or comics. And he just flat out asked me, he's like, so what was with Darth Maul? And I said, you know, I explained it to him. Then I asked him, you know, what did you know how how did you feel in that moment he said well i was i was a little confused but i figured that it was just a a hook for a future movie and so i you know when i left the theater my first thought was there are going to be a lot of people who were going to be really confused by that i wonder if because we know so much about the star wars lore if we're kind of blowing it out of proportion as to what the non big time star wars fans are going to take from it Andrew, I like how you had a discussion with your coworker, like you were talking to one of your children <laughs> about something that had happened that had confused them. So where did he touch you at? Yeah. <laughs> so how did it make you feel? Show me on the doll. Well, it was a legitimate question I had. I just wanted to, because I know how I know how I felt. I was shocked. I couldn't believe that they actually were, you know, putting Darth Maul in a movie without any sort of explanation as to why he's there. So I knew how I felt. I was just wondering how somebody who didn't already know that he was alive would feel. And that's why I asked what I thought to be a very legitimate question. Thank <laughs> I you very it's much. It's not legitimate. I just think it's. <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of had to explain it to Sarah because she was like, what is Small doing there? I mean, she knows that he was in some of these cartoons, but, you know, I could see where that was confusing. I think on one hand, it's kind of cool 
that for those of us that are so invested in in the Star Wars lore that we kind of know, but for your general movie-going audience, that had to be really confusing. And my second point is, and this is this is just my personal opinion. I feel like you know what? I'm so tired of them parading Maul out. I feel like it's fanboy service, and I'm tired of it with Maul. And I feel like they do it. They've used Maul over and over again to do that. And so for me, I saw him, and it was just kind of like sigh. See, that's where I'm at, is you can do that kind of fan service in a cartoon, and I'm going to give it a little bit more leeway, because it's a cartoon. And I know that they say it's the new canon, and I feel like this is them throwing down the gauntlet, like, we told you it's all mattered and connected and everything. <laughs> the new canon, it's, you need to keep up. You need to watch our cartoons at our John Favreau TV series, and you need to subscribe to the Star Wars Netflix streaming service we're going to be offering in two years and all of it, because if you don't, you're not going to know what's going on. But you know what? That actually doesn't work. Trying to leverage power over your fans is not a good way to do it. I think that it's just confusing to the casual fan. It's frustrating to the ardent fan because it does take storytelling down a notch. Now we're in a comic book or a soap opera. I'll allow comic books and soap operas to bring Spider-Man, Captain America, and Stefano DiMero all back from the dead. I bet that's the first time those three names have ever been said together. <laughs> I, I think so. <laughs> I knew more coming autobiography. <laughs> you, you guys all know who Stefano is. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I can't wait to see next year's Avengers then. <laughs> <laughs> I just, admittedly, I th well, that's at least going to be explained. Whereas this robot legs, spider legs, he survived the fall. It's all very nebulous, and now he's a crime lord? Is that Darth Maul's career aspirations? I'd like him to do one of those tests where he gets the four letters for his personality to see if that's really what he's meant to do. The disc that's test? That's <laughs> Yes. So, you wait, know what? Go ahead. One of the things that I always have a bad habit of doing coming out of these movies is like rewriting it in my head as I'm watching it when I come out of it. I mean, I did that with Last Jedi like you wouldn't believe. This is one I didn't, but one thing that did pop in my head is Huh, what if that what if that person that Kira talked to at the end wasn't Darth Maul, but rather a Mandalorian to give you the hook of like, oh, hey, next time we're going to have a Mandalorian running some stuff and he brings in fed. And then that's how they do it. That would make sense. So I, I it did occur to me like, OK, what if they'd done something other than fall in that spot? And to me, they were they seemed pretty good. So I, I wonder if if there was something better they could have done with that. But. I, I was kind of giddy about because, like I said, if nothing else, I had no idea that was going to happen. Yeah, I can I can see it both ways. Like, for me, it definitely worked on the shock level. I have seen all the cartoons, and I, I can feel kind of where Arnie's coming from, too, where it's like, are you asking too much of people to keep up with, you know, ancillary material to even understand what's going on here? But I'm going I'm to put a little bit of that fault on Rebels. I think the story with Darth Maul still being alive and then going through different stories and taking over Mandalore and stuff like that, that they explored, they explored in Clone Wars, even with the Savage Press and him having a duel with the Emperor late in the series there. That was enough for me. I didn't need him coming back in Rebels as the old master and then ultimately meeting his demise with Obi-Wan on Tatooine. That, that to me, felt fan service and too much Maul. So if that didn't exist and this was the next time he popped up after Clone Wars – 
I think would be a little bit more powerful. And to me, this is where I actually recoil when I read people online going, Dave Filoni needs to take over. Get rid of Kathleen Kennedy and give it to Dave Filoni. (laughs) I think Dave Filoni is fine in the realm of animation. He's never even done anything live action. So beyond just being qualified, his storytelling instincts, I feel, are suited for cartoons. You have a point. Lest we forget the the three droid arc story in Clone Wars. (laughs) (laughs) Now, given that we've had our first spin-off movie, this is the first one. I mean, it's our second Star Wars story, but the first one didn't have any characters we knew. Now, we know that we have the director of Logan working on a Boba Fett film, and it was just announced today of this recording Lawrence Kasdan who's you know written four Star Wars films including Solo has announced he's working on the Bosk movie huh Sorry, I didn't catch that you gotta be kidding <laughs> Bosk a Star Wars story that come on where, where did you where did you read this where where yeah, is what, cite what? your sources sir. Yeah. yes please <laughs> there was a Lawrence and John Kasdan interview with Screen Rant and according to Jonathan Kasdan, who is Lawrence Kasdan's son, he says, quote, yeah, he's writing the Bosk movie. Aura Singh is another character that comes originally out of the prequels. She was a great bit of design. She became a total bit of cosplay fun, and I thought this is exactly the kind of person that would beef up Beckett's reputation. So, yeah, he's saying that Kasdan is working on a Bosque film. That's got to be tongue-in-cheek. There's exactly one person excited for this, and that's Mary Franklin. (laughs) Uh, There might be one other. There's another Bosque focus collector I know. Kevin? Okay. I like Bosque. I think he's a cool-looking character. Can he carry a movie? I don't even know if he could carry a comic book series. (laughs) Only if if he behaves the way he did in Robot Chicken, and you've been (laughs) Bosque. I have to say, his short story in Tales of the Bounty Hunters was pretty lame. He couldn't carry that. I think you guys are being unfair. I think he's strong enough to carry books and movies. <laughs> I mean, he's got to... school? Yeah, I mean, home from the store. He's big basic. You know what, I don't, I don't get why... You know what, we've seen... There was the rumors last year at D23 about the Obi-Wan movie. There's been rumors online that Ewan McGregor is working out. That is the one movie that I actually want... Please, let's announce that. Of all these, you know, uh, story movies of characters that I actually, you know, would like, that is the one that I want. And yet they keep beating around the bush about announcing it. And it hasn't really been much of a secret that it is in some form or another in the works. I don't know, man. Fans didn't react to the idea of a one straight Jedi now fettered off in seclusion. <laughs> that's I don't know. A story. I, you, you could make it work. I mean, there, there's I a mean, way to write that and make it work. It'd be cool if Solo, Boat Fett, and Obi Wan were actually connected because they all kind of end up in the same spot. Let's You're not really make clever. this universe any smaller than it already is. But I'm okay with that. These are the things we love about. I mean, when you say Bosk a Star Wars movie, I, I don't want to see that, and I sure as heck don't want to see a spin-off uh, Star Wars story about a character we've never heard of. I mean, uh, unless it's taken us to an already familiar time, like a, um, and this is, this would be Darth Vader. My example, I, I still couldn't get around it. Darth Vader truly hunting down the Jedi. I mean, I, I don't, I don't want to, Hey, pick a character from the old Republic and do a movie about him. No one's going to care. Well, not no one, but 
that that, that movie would fare worse than this one. It, it, it's tighter because it's what we love. It does not need to expand any too much more than that. Especially when you're only talking, hey, do one movie a year and you'd be okay. That's still only a finite number of movies, even if they go 20, 30 years with this. We don't have room for Stormtrooper number seven who who served on uh, – who, who bombarded the Tantavy and what he did the day before. And yet that might be one of the best. You know, I, I think there's room in there for, <laughs> for someone we haven't heard of before you to focus on – or a group of people, like I said at the beginning of the show, you know, what about, you know, and I know we've, we've kind of seen them in other places, but we've never really seen them on the big screen. You could do like a specialized stormtrooper unit, you know, like a, and you could kind of make it like a, you know, like the Navy SEALs of that and do something with that in the Star Wars universe. I would be okay with them going back to the Old Republic, not necessarily using characters we've already seen, but maybe telling some stories from back then. I mean, you have all these Jedi, and, and let's face it, the prequels didn't do a really good job of telling the story of the Jedi. So you have all of that you could mine. I mean, I just think that there's so much there that you can mine. It works in books. Now, I understand that books is not the big screen, but some of these books that I've read, you could have translated it to the big screen, and it would have been a movie that I wanted to see. So why can't we go there? I mean, it seems like that time frame right now is is the most fertile ground, the the period between episode three and episode four. You know, that's that's the area that they want to play in. And I, I kind of hinted at it earlier that I think Disney needs to be a little bit more bold and maybe move away from focusing on characters that we know. And, you know, I'm going to bring it back to the original Force Unleashed. I thought that was a pretty darn good structure for a story. Vader having a secret apprentice during these years that we have no idea what was really going on. I think there's something there that, you know, if they wanted to tell a story with Darth Vader kind of off to the side you know, not mainly about him, more about his apprentice and what he's doing. I think there's some fertile ground there that can really hold a story or, you know, a three movie arc. But but your guys' last two examples are still all inner circle. It's the the jet what the Jedi were doing. Okay, it's Jedi. We're familiar with that. It's Darth Vader and his apprentice. That's still all within the tight inner circle. And at least that's how I'm interpreting what Arnie said is was the you know, those to me all still group into something I'm familiar with. I'm familiar with what the Jedi did. I'm familiar with what Darth Vader does in the background. Maybe I don't know the exact story, but it's, it's Darth freaking Vader. That movie would do well. Justin, I totally agree with that. Here's the thing is, they're damned if they do, damned if they don't, because episodes 7 and 8, they tried to move away from original trilogy characters and give us new characters, and a lot of people complained because they don't like the new characters as well. Rogue One, people walked out of that movie going, well, they were okay, but I'm never going to see them again, so it doesn't really matter. (laughs) (laughs) So I've never really heard anything positive or negative about the Rogue One cast. I've heard a lot of negativity and some positivity about Ray and Finn and Poe and Rose and Kylo, but I think that there's afraid to go with new characters. They want to play on our nostalgia. They want to go, hey, remember this guy you liked when you were eight? Let's sell you him in a movie. And if they try to go and just give us, say, the Old Republic, you know, something so completely separate from what we're used to, then people are going to be like, oh, it's too different. Where's Yoda? Where's Vader? And if they don't, then we're all going to be like, but we have had enough of this. We want something new. So I, they're really in 
A pickle. A, yeah, a bind that I don't know how to get out of, and that's what they're paid to do, I guess. And I think they're in this pickle until the saga wraps up. Once the saga wraps up, then they're going to be a little more free to play around in different time areas, because it's not always, oh, in the next movie isn't tied to episode seven. Oh, in the next movie after that's not tied to episode eight. Once they get past episode nine, cons- hoping they don't go all the way to 12, I hope they just wrap up the saga, maybe create a new saga or something. But I could see 10 years down the line, us talking about them playing around with these characters. We know Luke Leia Han recast in the years between episode six and episode seven, because there's another fertile ground of storytelling that has yet to be told. I also think just for sheer commercial viability to the non hardcore star Wars fan, they need to stop hopping around the timeline. They need to stop just doing what the books did. Books can do it because you're going to a very small niche hardcore fan base. I think if you want to keep it going, you need a story that's going to continue. And because they signed Alden Ehrenreich to three films, maybe they thought Han was the beginning of doing that. And we're going to have, as you mentioned, Justin, the saga films, but then we'd also have the Han Solo films or something. But I think that time needs to either move forward or, yeah, do the Old Republic. And in your opening scroll, yes, bring it back and say 10,000 years before the Empire, the Jedi Knights were the Guardians of Peace and Justice, blah, blah, blah. And do that kind of thing, but then commit to it, you know, set more movies there. And admit that if you have an Ant-Man, a movie that's going to make you 150, 200 million, then you say, okay, that was the first movie and we're going to build on that. Okay, I have two questions, though. Let's back up for a second. What would make everyone happy? Is it going back and rehashing Luke, Leia, and Han? Cast with Justin Bieber. That's exactly what I want. (laughs) I mean, did you want the period after Return of the Jedi with those same characters? Yeah, I I kind of did. In in 97, I wanted that instead of the prequels, but... Yeah, and that's my point. When I was younger, I did. Now do I want it? Not necessarily, because I I kind of hold those characters in such, you know, they hold such a dear place in my heart. I really don't know how I feel about, you know, them continuing to play with those characters. I mean, it's we're not that far removed from the loss of Carrie Fisher, you know, and so those things kind of still play there. I just, I don't know that I want that. I just want something fresh. It's it's hard. They are in a pickle. I, I'll give you that. They are in a pickle, and I don't have the answer as to how you get out of said pickle because you are in that in that pickle. You know, you have to be able to to draw the box office numbers. You have to bring in the the quote unquote casual Star Wars fan, right? On the other side, you have to keep the you know you have to keep the hardcore fans you know happy because I mean that's what's driven you for forty years, right? So. Or maybe maybe not forty years. Let's say twenty the twenty years, you know, after the dark times and whatever, because you know you've got a new injection. But I I don't know. It, it's something that they have to figure out, and it, I, I don't envy the position they're in. But we got to get something fresh, is, is the way I feel. And I'd like to say I enjoy the movies that have been put out under the Kathleen Kennedy Disney era. I have my problems with. All of them, but I also have my problems with the prequels. That doesn't make me not love them. 
I think with time, these new movies with repetition and yeah, I think as was mentioned, more toys and more exploration of these films and these characters in non-cinematic ways will allow me to adopt these films into my family the same as the prequels. But I really think that they need to make a bold gambit here. And you know what Marvel did early on? And you got to admire the balls of it. They said after Iron Man and Hulk, hey, guess what? In two years, Iron Man 2. After that, Thor and Captain America. And then we're doing Avengers. They gave us a roadmap for what they called Phase 1. And as soon as that came to a close, they gave us a roadmap for Phase 2 and then Phase 3. So we knew where to place our interest it really was a great marketing tool for us to go oh my god thor one is really important (laughs) (laughs) and i think if star wars came out and did that and said this is what we're doing we have a plan and we know what's going to work and they have something going on behind the scenes they got ryan johnson to do a trilogy when who what they're not letting us know and god the way they go through them maybe ryan johnson will be fired before a frame is shot god knows colin trevorrow as he's talking about jurassic park says that working on star wars and all of that has ruined his love of the films so he describes nightmare working conditions so who knows what'll happen but i think they need to tell us as fans we're going somewhere we have a destination because while i like these movies i really do So don't take this as the harsh way it sounds. I feel that Lucasfilm is doing about as well with Star Wars as Warner Brothers is with DC. It's like, well, we're going to try this and we're throwing (laughs) at a wall to see what sticks. Hey, Wonder Woman's stuck. Let's go with more of that. Hey, let's also do Shazam. Hey, Suicide Squad sucked, but people like Harley Quinn. Let's make a movie out of her. Uh, Yeah, no, I I feel what you're saying. And I'm just kind of holding off judgment or hope, any of it. Until the saga wraps up. If if in two years from now we're sitting around and they don't have that roadmap, Arnie, then I'm going to have to take a hard look at what I think they're doing. Because right now I'm giving them a little bit of leeway and slack. It's like they're in the middle of a saga and yet they're trying to keep audiences engaged year over year. And I think these aren't necessarily missteps. It's just they're rushing the process without an end goal for us to be looking forward to. And it's all just... It's kind of confusing to the general audiences, and it's a little bit much for us fans who like to marinate in these things a little bit longer than we've been given time to. You, you said given a roadmap, and that's something that I was actually thinking of when we just talked about it a little bit earlier, is that Marvel had this this roadmap, and that's what I what was going to say earlier, is we should I, – I agree with you. It would be helpful to have that roadmap. I, I think it would maybe put – fans at ease but but also i mean you look at what the those marvel movies have done and they have successfully brought in people who aren't necessarily comic book fans or people who didn't know who iron man was i mean sarah was not into any of that you know and and i had to do a little bit of explaining you know at the beginning of some of that and now she's she's in you know i mean some of that is hiring the right actors and those types of things and being able to put a decent product out there so i think that if we had a roadmap and we had a direction we saw where it was going i think some people would feel like at ease at least you know where we're heading so at that point you can kind of make your determination if you want to stay on board or not and i'm not suggesting that any of us are going to jump off 
I'm just saying that I think it will put people at ease. I'm like you. I don't hate any of these movies. I, I like all of these movies, you know, but the OT is still up there and you still can't touch the OT. You haven't done anything close to the OT for me yet. So I would like to eventually see something that, that gets to that level. I just, I don't know if we'll ever get to that level because it's my nostalgia is going to hold me back from personally getting to that level. Or if we're just never going to get to that level because it was just magic in a, in a bottle, the time it came out and that era that it was just different and, and it works in that era. So it's kind of a mixed bag, you know, it's kind of like your first car. You're always going to have a little bit of nostalgic love for that first car, even though the car you drive now has way better features and looks better and goes faster. There's always going to be something about that that first car you put the keys in and drove around when you were young and naive and had a sense of freedom. So, yeah, that's 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 lightning in a bottle that's never going to be captured again. Well, and that's what Marvel's done. And they. I mean, Arnie, you mentioned, I think, on Facebook or something the other day about, you know, do they, do they even know what kind of magic they're trying to capture? Have they seen the original movie? And the problem is you you, you, you can't create that kind of magic because the trick's already been revealed. And Marvel, on the other hand, was able to create that first franchise set of superhero movies that has been this expansive. I mean, yeah, you had four Superman movies, but two of them were terrible and they didn't really, they weren't really going anywhere. They were just sequels. This is Iron Man matters to what happens in cap and cap matters. What happens in Thor and Thor, and they're all going to come together in Avengers. And Oh, by the way, once you see Avengers, me, me personally go back and see Iron Man too. And you appreciate Scarlet, which is rolling that better. So uh, Marvel in 2008 had the ability to create new magic for that superhero movie that, Star Wars can't redo because they already did it once. You already know what the trick is. The point is they, they got to do something that's marketable to the masses. And But all I can say about Solo is, I guess maybe in the spirit of wrapping up here a little bit, is I'm just glad I enjoyed this movie. I mean, it, you know, I had fun with it. And even if it doesn't become the billion-dollar blockbuster and Disney scratches their head, uh, two days from now I'm going to go see this movie again, and I'm going to love the heck out of it, and I'm going to notice – things in the background i didn't catch before and it's all going to be fun to me again and unlike last jedi when i buy this on blu-ray or 4k or something i'll probably actually watch it you know you guys have a good point and i think it's worth saying and really absorbing because it's said flippantly all over the place i see it on twitter i see it on facebook you're not going to get a movie that can inspire you as an adult with high expectations the way you could when you were eight and you were just taken into a theater and whisked away to another galaxy and i'm okay with that but i definitely think some amount of perspective should also be brought to bear when it comes to the quality of these movies. Because we last did our real sit-down conversation back when Episode Eight was new. And I am honestly saddened by the state of fandom now just five months later. It really feels like some of the longest-term Star Wars fans I know are fighting with other long-term Star Wars fans because of pro versus anti episode eight. It's all Star Wars. We need to get back to where we all realize we love Star Wars and it's okay if you don't like a movie. Here, here. Agreed and agreed. I guess my yeah. final thought on that, this topic before we wrap up our thoughts on Solo is what Star Wars is missing right now is a Kevin Feige. You know, we, we don't have that one person who's the keeper of the lore, the one who loves it all and knows it all, 
I thought maybe JJ was supposed to be that, but he made his movie and left and then decided to come back. And I, I don't think Kathleen Kennedy's that. She's the head of the business. But we need that type of person inside a Lucasfilm who is making sure everything is cohesive and gels and is on brand. Agreed. I think that is Kathleen Kennedy's role. It's what she should do. Keep in mind, she was a film producer on some of the greatest films of all time before she was given Lucasfilm. She was given Lucasfilm because she shepherded so many of Steven Spielberg's films to completion. That's how she and George knew each other was because she did so much work for Spielberg. So I think that should be her role. I don't know that she's ever done anything this big before though and when you're dealing with spielberg you're dealing with a creative genius that maybe you need to keep on track or maybe you need to hone an idea here or there but now it's all on her and i don't know with all the firings and everything that she has it completely under her yet that said kevin feige didn't have it all right from day one either we got to give them time to find their role and kevin feige marvel was its own company it wasn't owned by disney when they got started disney didn't buy them until they went oh crap these marvel people are making billions of dollars and whereas they bought lucasfilm with every single person in the disney shareholders meeting saying we're gonna milk that cash cow like it's marvel 2 well i'd like to say that i feel that if there's anybody that's going to have passion about it, Kathleen Kennedy is the it. I don't think that if you brought in a complete unknown woman or man to do what she's doing, that they would have the same passion. I mean, she kind of rose to where she was. I mean, she was a freaking receptionist. Let's give her some props for that. I mean, I think she's come a long way and done some amazing things. But I I trust her because I think that she's she's got it in her heart as to loving Star Wars and she she is friends with George and you know Spielberg connection she knows this genre she knows this type of film and you know nothing is going to be perfect right off the bat Marvel made some missteps and some kind of like head scratchers were kind of like huh Thor 2 look at that (laughs) and then they totally redeemed themselves with Thor 3 you mean Guardians 2 and a half (laughs) (laughs) but yeah I mean I, I don't know why she gets all the hate. Well, I do know why she gets the hate. It's because she's a girl. We're easy targets. But I, I think that she's got it under control. Crap's going to happen. You know, it's it's a whole new ball game. What they're, what they're doing. This whole Lucasfilm Disney thing is just brand new as far as a big studio buying another big studio with a huge established license that's dearly beloved. So I, I think it's, it's going to be okay. Let them find their footing. You know, in the meantime, we still get some fun Star Wars movies, and we get to hang out with our friends at Celebrations. If only our friends don't show up like the Hatfields and McCoys. Jesus. Oh, I know. Oh, yeah. The number one rule of, I think, being a Star Wars fan or just a fan of anything in life, don't be a jerk. <laughs> so you're going to have OT fans on one side. You're going to have the sequel fans on another side, and the prequel fans will be the peacekeepers <laughs> in the middle. Hey, you <laughs> Yeah, in the fact that even the sequel fans and the OT fans are both going to look at the prequel fans like, you wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, all all seven of them. Hey, Hey, now. I I was going to say, I was going to... 
No, people who would who would identify only to be in prequel fans. Come on, that doesn't exist. That's true. Only prequel fans. People maybe under twenty. And I we said it early on. I think we all talked about way back when when the Disney acquisition was announced. I said it before, and I'm still going to stand behind it. Is that when they announced that they were selling it, even before they sold it, I I've always said that I could only see Disney being the custodian of Lucasfilm, and I stand behind that statement. I said it, like I said, before it was even a thought in the mind to actually sell it. And I still do believe that, that Disney is the custodian that can take it and, and do something. And they are doing something with it, do, but move it in the direction that it needs to go. I think you're right. We're going to have some missteps. We're not there yet. There's exciting things that are going on outside of the movie world when theme parks and, and the, the Star Wars Hotel. And, you know, we can argue about pricing and those kinds of things later. But in general, they're they're taking it and... They're moving in a direction where I don't think Lucasfilm wasn't big enough to do that and to give us what we wanted. So I I stand behind that statement. I think we're going to have some missteps. I think what's important, too, to remember, because, I mean, I have friends, you know, I mean, Jerry's on the call and he didn't like Last Jedi. I love Last Jedi. You know what? Doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter. Steve didn't like Last Jedi. I love Last Jedi. It doesn't matter, you know. I I think what's important is I can look at that movie and I can see, you know what, I understand why Steve and Jerry didn't like it, but it didn't take away from my enjoyment. And they can look at the movie and say, you know what, I didn't like it, but I understand why Chris liked it, and we can all get along. And I think that that has been lost somewhere along the way. And I don't know, I think it's the social media aspect of it, too. Like, you have to get your voice across. And the country being so polarized as it is without to get political – you know, I think now that's just the culture we live in is, is I, I have to stand up on my soapbox and I'm not backing down on my soapbox. And if you don't agree with what I what I'm going to say, well, then too bad. And it's sad that we've gotten that way within something that was a retreat away from that garbage. Chris, I think everything you said is absolutely wrong and I'm not going to back down from that. <laughs> <laughs> Screw you, Arnie. I'm with Chris. Don't think we can't any draw the lines. <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, I'm just glad that we live in a world in 2018 where we are standing in an area where we can sit here and nitpick and quibble over new Star Wars content. I mean, it was a decade ago that we were like, well, that's it. Star Wars is pretty much done. And here we are with twice as many movies almost twice as many movies as we had previously so at the end of the day i'm just happy that we're getting new star wars content and we can take it or leave it as it comes but i that's that's a good thing to me agreed and with that i say final thoughts on solo and we'll start with chris you know final thoughts on solo is it's it's a fun ride it's a good movie like i said i've only seen it the one time i do expect that seeing it the second time this coming weekend i will enjoy it enjoy it that much more i usually enjoy the films a second time because i'm going in without the expectations i also was a little bit tired when i saw it and we had a convention the next day so i had a bunch of stuff on my mind so i'm looking forward to seeing it again and just being able to just soak it in it's a great movie it's not my favorite in the disney era but it's you know it's not a bad movie no i don't think any stars movie that we've that we've had to date is a bad movie but you know, where does it rank? You know, I think it's it's hard for me to rank rank solo between The Force Awakens and Rogue One, but it's a good movie. It's a fun movie. I think if you just go in there without expectations, you're going to have a good time. And I did want to point out, I have to correct something I said when we talked about The Last Jedi, and I said I wasn't going to collect solo toys, and I have collected solo toys. <laughs> <laughs> 
I knew you would. I am too, and I'm liking them. Me too. Especially that Lando outfit. I just like Lando's outfit in this, in three and three quarter and six inch. Somebody needs to make a tie with that pattern of his scarf, and I need to get a bright yellow dress shirt and a tie like that, and I'll be set. You ask, think geek, will make it happen by Christmas. <laughs> yes, that's all I want. Jerry, final thought? Yeah, you know, final thoughts, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen Solo, well, hopefully you haven't made it this far in this spoiler-filled podcast anyway, but go see it. It's a good movie. Don't don't be that Star Wars fan who's for some reason for some reason saying that I'm not going to see this because I'm I'm making a statement against XYZ. No, go go see this. There, there's there's no help to the Star Wars fandom to sit back and watch one of the movies be financially disappointing. Even if it's not a bomb, it's let's get it back to star wars it's it's worth going to see if you've only seen it once see it twice there's probably something you miss so uh definitely definitely a strong recommend oh wait wrong show (laughs) this is more like a reading rainbow format jerry (laughs) (laughs) andrew final thought you know what what i like most about this movie is and it's kind of set my expectations on what i look for in any of these future you know quote unquote spin-off movies, these Star Wars stories, is that uh it it informs but doesn't impact the original movies. You know, it's got little bits and, and pieces in there, little nuggets that can make you look at the original movies a little bit differently, but it really doesn't change anything. It's not gonna have some big reveal where you're like, oh well that's gonna complete that completely changes how I feel about, you know, this character in the original trilogy. You know, I like the little stuff like, you know, Lando saying, you know, mining colonies are the worst. Well, then he ends up being the baron of a mining colony. And is he does he do that? Because during the the mining colony revolt, L3 says that she found her purpose and he's trying to continue on her purpose. You know, it just kind of makes you think about things differently and. And, you know, it makes you look at how Han is, uh, you know, takes Ray under under his wings because because he kind of had the same upbringing. And she kept saying that he's that she's trying to get back to Jakku where where she came from. And he's trying to get back to Karelia where he came from. And I just I like that about this movie. And I, I hope that future uh, Star Wars stories do that um, because Look, these the Star Wars stories aren't going to be as epic. They aren't going to be as big as the episodic ones um, if they continue past nine. They're they're just they're just not. They're going to feel smaller. They're they're going to feel different. And and I I like that. And I think that's the strongest thing that I can say about this movie is that I appreciate what it brings to the table, and I'm glad that it didn't bring too much. Well said, Justin. Yeah, I'll, I'll echo a lot of what everybody's saying here. This this movie. I'm not going to say it's great, but it's absolutely fine. It's a fun movie. It's not ruinous to Star Wars. It's not ruinous to the lore. It's additional information should you want it. You know, it's it's more stuff for you to know about Han Solo. Whether you wanted that or not, it's still a fun ride. The one question I didn't get answered, which I was kind of hoping to get a little bit of, is how the Falcon got so dirty on the inside over the course of however many years it is between now and the time we see it in a new hope. Cause that thing was pristine. Lando kept a tip top ship and it was kind of cool to see extra, 
extra spaces in there. We saw his closet. We saw some sleeping quarters. It was neat to see a character that we've known all these years, like the Falcon, all dressed up and gussied up and looking its best. And that, to me, that that's worth the price of admission right there. Marjorie? You know, it, it was a fun little movie. It was... They got me in because it was Star Wars and Han Solo. He's an okay character, not one of my favorites, but, you know, I, I like Harrison Ford in the movie. I don't think that there was anything really wrong with the movie itself as far as what they were trying to do. I had some nitpicks over cinematic choices. I, I think that it suffered from the tumultuous director problems it had, and I don't know that Ron Howard was the right choice, but, you know... There could have been a lot worse. He got it in on time and over budget. Yes, which is a good motto to have. But, you know, I think it's kind of interesting. I kind of wish that it wasn't just a checklist of all the things that we know about Han. Blaster, check. Castle Run, check. Met Chewie, check. Got the Falcon, check. It kind of just felt like a cramming so much in there and we didn't get enough of the story. But it had a lot of action. Yeah, I was hoping that they did carry the score more over like what we saw in the trailer that had the good Rocky sound with the guitars, but that really didn't come to fruition. But hey, all in all, it's a good movie. I'd suggest go seeing it. I don't know that I'm going to see it again in theaters. I'll wait for home video and watch it on 4K. All right. Well, everyone, thank you for joining us, and we hope to have you on real soon again because there's so much to talk about. Barges and vintage figures and so much going on in the collecting universe. Star Wars Action News is back. We're going to be covering it all. So until next time, may the pegs be stopped and the Force be with you. Hey, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks, everybody. Always a good time. Thank you for listening to Star Wars Action News. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can find pictures of the toys reviewed, chat with other Star Wars collectors, and find hundreds of Star Wars Action News episodes at our website, SWActionNews.com. This podcast is created by Star Wars fans showing their love of Star Wars. We want your feedback on Star Wars Action News. You can email us at show at SWActionNews.com or post your thoughts in the Star Wars Action News forums at SWActionNews.com, the most friendly forums on the web. You can also find Star Wars Action News on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. The links to our social media sites are at SWActionNews.com. You can also help out our show by telling your friends to listen by posting on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or in person. We would also greatly appreciate a five-star review written on iTunes. A link to our iTunes feed is at SWActionNews.com. You can also send us your latest store reports, figure reviews, and more. Email us an MP3 or iPhone voice memo at show at SWActionNews.com. All content received is subject for use on the show. Star Wars Action News is not affiliated with Lucasfilm Limited. Star Wars and all that the Star Wars universe contains is trademark and copyright Lucasfilm Limited, a subsidiary of the Walt Disney Company. All rights reserved. Star Wars Action News. Now this is podcasting.